Well, today we'll be looking at Romans chapter 8, which is such a wonderful chapter of Scripture. You know, this little section from Romans 5 through 8, but even 3 through 8 is wonderful, but especially chapter 8. Chapter 8 is where so much happens uh, in some ways. There is no other chapter in the New Testament like this. So we are coming to chapter 8 today, and we're looking forward to this study today. The happy ending of Christian suffering, which is such an important topic and stated, uh, explained, described so well in Romans chapter 8. So, you know, it's totally unfair, totally unfair to judge your life story by what's happening in the middle of your story. So if you're going through a hard time right now, um, that's totally unfair to say my life is garbage. You can't do that. You're in the middle of the story. So, for example, what if we're talking about Star Wars and Luke Skywalker has found out that his dad is like the archvillain of the universe and, and he's demoralized and then he's locked in mortal combat with his wicked dad and the emperor and clearly outmatched. And that's the end. Like, well, what a stinky story. I'm not watching that. That's a terrible story. What if Jurassic Park 3, remember that part? where uh, the Spinosaurus is biting at the caves they're in to protect themselves in a boat, in a storm, and eventually the satellite phone, which has only enough battery charge for one more call, uh, Dr. Alan Grant calls his friend Ellie, and, and they're shouting over the phone, and the dinosaur's roaring, and then, and then all of a sudden the, the whole cage goes in the water, and the phone is dead. There, that's a movie. That is a terrible life, terrible movie, terrible story. What if we're talking about the Avengers saga and it just ended with Thanos causing the blip. One third of all the world is destroyed in the blip and Thanos then is the undisputed king of the world. They say, there, that's a nice story, right? That's a terrible story. So we look at your life, you say, oh, I'm sick. I have no money. I have, uh, I've been betrayed. Uh, Life is garbage. You're in the middle. No fair. You, you can't do that. Just stop it. You're in the middle of the story. It's supposed to have a crisis in the middle. Romans 8 tells us about the end. And that's why you have to see this. Well, first of all, we have two things we have to do this morning in Romans 8. The first is a recap of our rescue in Christ. And this is chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. And we're going to go quickly through this because it is just a review of what we've talked about the previous several weeks. But then we're going to home in on this idea of a happy ending for Christian suffering. And that's very important, too. All right. So the recap, this is what it's going to sound like. It sounds like this. Christ's rescue saves us from both the death sentence of sin. That is because Christ's infinite righteousness has been credited to our accounts And we are all righteous because of that, which is just amazing as believers that this would be credited to. How nice. So Christ's rescue saves us from the death sentence of sin and something else. It saves us from the overwhelming enticement of sin when we just carried along with the hurricane of sin. And now that tyranny is broken because Christ's indwelling spirit gives us victory over these sins, uh, the ability, the capacity, the real capacity to resist sin successfully. That's so great. Well, and then we also have this for a recap. The Holy Spirit's residence inside us, which is extraordinary. The Holy Spirit's residence inside us gives us both the eternal life of Christ. So we are like conjoined twins to the Holy Spirit, conjoined to the eternal spirit of Christ. We can't die, which is amazing. So we have eternal life. And then we also have 
the Holy Spirit giving us the mind of Christ uh, so that we have thoughts and emotions because the Holy Spirit is in our hearts and our personalities. And we have thoughts and emotions that we would never otherwise have. And that's because the resident Holy Spirit is giving us those thoughts and emotions. And then finally, even our bodies are going to be rescued from death and the grave by this wonderful salvation the Lord has given us. And this is going to happen someday soon, not quite yet. And uh, before I do one of our little readings in the text, let me remind you of an important cross-reference. This is just such a helpful cross-reference. I just wanted you to have this in your mind before we read. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man, so this is the guy who is not a Christian, the guy who does not have the Holy Spirit living in his heart, changing his personality. Now, the natural man, he does not receive or pay attention to the things of the Spirit of God. He doesn't pay attention to the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, in fact. He doesn't want to pay attention to them, and he cannot know them. He doesn't have the capacity to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, notice how similar that passage is from 1 Corinthians to the passage we're going to look at today, Romans 8, 7. Because the fleshly mind, this is the person who does not have the Holy Spirit changing his personality, right? The indwelling Holy Spirit. So the fleshly mind is hostile against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. He doesn't have the capacity to be good to God. And notice how similar those are. They cannot think well. Uh, It's because their minds haven't been changed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2.15, again, that same text. He that is spiritual, the person who does have the Holy Spirit living in his heart, changing his personality. He that is spiritual, he does judge. He understands so many of these things. Yet he himself is properly understood by no one. You know, why do you, why do you as a Christian give $500 a month in the offering plate? Who would do that? I don't understand it. All right. He that is spiritual understands these things, but nobody understands him. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And this is so extraordinary. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And here it is. We have the mind of Christ. Wow. We have the mind of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, changing our thoughts and emotions. We have the mind of Christ. That's extraordinary. What is like that? From Romans 8, it says it this way. For to be fleshly minded, so again, unregenerated, we don't have the Holy Spirit changing our personality, giving us emotions and thoughts we would never otherwise have. To be fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, so the Holy Spirit does give us thoughts and emotions we would never otherwise have, that is life and peace. And so we have these similar ideas that the mind of Christ is in us because the Holy Spirit of Christ is in us, and that's extraordinary. All right, so here's what the opening of Romans 8 sounds like. This is your Bible reading for the day and uh, with just some little interpretive comments as we go, okay? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, in his accounts and in his spirit-empowered body and in his love. No condemnation, which is so wonderful. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh, that is, possessing only physical life, but not eternal life. Who do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. After the spirit, he walks possessing both physical life and spiritual and eternal life. Verse 2, for the law, that's the strong directive. 
the strong directive of the spirit of the life of Christ has made me free from the law, the strong directive of sin and death. Sin and death used to boss me around, but it doesn't have any strength anymore because I have a stronger commander in my heart now. Verse 3, what the law could not do in that it was weak through sinful flesh, that is our own human bodies, constantly misleading us and drawing us away from God with an earthbound view of life. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the likeness of sinful flesh. Now he was actually in flesh. But he wasn't in sinful flesh. So we say the likeness of sinful flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin. That is to confront sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That is, he passed sentence on sin and he has promised to execute it. Right now, sin is still all around us and I'm sorry to say, even in us. But the sentence has been passed and the execution is coming. The tyrant within is going to be entirely conquered very soon. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. We have been credited with Christ's righteousness. That's so great. And not only that, we've been given new thoughts and new emotions by his indwelling Holy Spirit. So we have victory we never otherwise would have. And so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh that is possessing only physical life, but not eternal life. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit possessing both physical life today and eternal life forever. For those who are after the flesh, again, possessing only physical life but not eternal life, they mind the things of the flesh. That is, they return over and over again in their thoughts to the things of the flesh. But those who are after the Spirit, that is, possessing spiritual life by the indwelling Holy Spirit, well, they mind the things of the Spirit. For to be spiritually minded, having the mind of Christ, We have the mind of Christ. To be spiritually minded, having the mind of Christ, a spirit-indwelled personality, to be spiritually minded is life and peace, reconciled with God, peace with God, but also inner peace, a sense of tranquility. To be spiritually minded, have the mind of Christ, is life and peace. Because the fleshly mind, with only unregenerated thoughts and emotions, just, just without the Holy Spirit's influence, because the fleshly mind is hostile against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It doesn't even have the capacity to think well. Verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh, having physical life but not eternal life, they cannot, are not able to please God. But you are not in the flesh, that is, having only physical life but not eternal life. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, having both spiritual and eternal life by your mechanical connection to the indwelling Spirit of Christ. You are conjoined with the Spirit of Christ. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is so nice. It's saying that the Holy Spirit dwells in your body. And you think, I wonder what difference that makes. Now, there are a thousand differences, but there is some sameness. So I say this carefully, but I'm still going to say it. Do you think it would make a difference if an evil spirit lived in your body? Does that make a big difference or a little difference? Big difference. Now we're talking about the Holy Spirit living in your body. Big difference. 
All right. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So be that the spirit of God resides in you. Now, if any man does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, and you notice how easily we change from the spirit of Christ being in you to Christ being in you, because this is Trinitarian. But if Christ is in you, by his indwelling Holy Spirit, if Christ is in you, then the body is dead. Sure enough, we're still getting sick. Uh, We're still falling apart and we're still dying. Same as if we'd never come to Christ. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life mechanically conjoined to the eternal spirit of God. The body is dead, but the spirit is life because of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ credited to us. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, if you're a believer, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also give life to your mortal bodies someday by the same spirit that dwells in you. And to bring it to a close. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors bound not to the flesh, to live after the flesh in keeping with the inclinations of an earthbound body, never repenting, We're not bound to do that. For if you, any person, live after the flesh, never repenting at all, even in conversion, if you do that, you'll die. And by die, we mean including the second death, the lake of fire. I mean, if you just never convert, you never repent, you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you, any person, through the Spirit, puts to death the deeds of the body, that is, having your sins crucified with Christ and having the old person you used to be gone because you've been changed with a new personality. The old things have passed away. If you do that, you shall live, including eternally, go to heaven. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, having the mind of Christ, they are the sons of God. They are the children of God. And that's the opening of Romans 8. To recap where we've just been then. Christ's rescue saves us from both the death sentence of sin and from the overwhelming enticement of sin. And we saw in that section of Scripture, including chapters 6 and 7 as well, the Holy Spirit's residence inside us gives us both eternal life from the indwelling Spirit of Christ, eternally conjoined with us. We can't die. And it gives us the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit, giving us thoughts and emotions we would never otherwise have. And last of all, we see in this little section of Romans 8 that even our bodies will be rescued from death and the grave someday in the not-too-distant future. And that's very exciting, too. So now we're talking about the happy ending to all of our Christian suffering. Romans 3 through 7, all that we've looked at so far uh, in the last few weeks. It's all about being rescued from the punishment of sin. From the first moment of our belief in the gospel, rescued from the punishment of sin. And also, rescued from the strong enticement of sin by the Spirit of Christ within us. This is almost entirely invisible. All these things that we've talked about, almost entirely invisible. They're happening inside you spiritually You can't see the accounts of Christ in heaven. You can't see the Holy Spirit living inside your body. It's it's all invisible, almost entirely invisible. And Romans 8, that little section we just looked at, is a recap of everything from Romans 3 to 7. But now, 
Romans 8, 14 through 27, begins to address some things that are visible, like our rescue from the hardships of this life, even before we go to heaven. There's rescue now. And like the rescue of our physical bodies, if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also give life to your mortal bodies, your mortal bodies, your physical bodies. And thirdly, the rescue actually of the entire physical universe is mentioned in Romans chapter 8. Extraordinary. The next three weeks, we're going to talk about some of these things. What you see in yellow, this is what we're going to talk about today from Romans chapter 8. And that is that God's love right now. And if you can remember this in times of hardship when you're facing suffering, this is going to be golden. You're going to love this so much. Right now, God loves you. And you are adored by God as his own children. And you have to remember that. When you're in the middle of the story and you think, my life is garbage. You have to remember this. No, right now, in this moment, you are adored by God as one of his own dear children. And we're going to elaborate on that as we go. Uh, The thought I'd like to plant in your mind is that we are like war orphans who have been adopted by God. And the contract of adoption is signed. We are there on paper. The covenant cannot be broken. So the contract is signed, but we haven't quite gotten to the Lord's great estate where we're going to live out the rest of our days. He has a wonderful estate, and it's going to be all beautiful and all wonderful, but you have to get there. So the contract is signed, and you will be very soon arriving at the Lord's grand estate. But you're not there yet. You're a war orphan, and you were orphaned uh, by the enemies. So we have to get you through all these battlefields of life, and then you'll be on God's grand estate. We're going to see that in this section of Romans 8, we're possessed by the spirit of nurturing adoption. And we're going to see that there is this reassuring voice of the Spirit of God that says we are indeed adopted. We are his children. And we're going to see that we're going to live forever as joint heirs with Jesus, which is extraordinary. And we're going to say something about suffering with Christ. Joint heirs with Jesus, including um, inheriting some of his sufferings. And so that's where we're going as we discuss some of these details. We are adored by God as his own children. Once again, a little Bible reading, a new section of Romans 8. Begin in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that is having the mind of Christ. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now the law, that was a spirit of bondage and a spirit of fear. Uh, You had the law threatening you, actually threatening you with hell. And there was no way you could win except if you were redeemed supernaturally. That's where the law was. You have, on the other hand, you're not getting these frowns and threats of the law as believers. Now you're getting the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, Abba and Father are synonyms. But there are nuances to Abba that sound a little bit like Daddy. But not childish, juvenile daddy, because we see that adults use the same term. 
But when Teresa and I were in Israel, we were crossing this very busy road one time. And it was one of the sweetest things. There was a little girl uh, standing next to her dad, about ready to cross the street. And uh, people were shoulder to shoulder, all busy, you know, gathering wait for the light, the light to turn. And, and we all went in a mob. And this little girl said, Daddy? Uh, but she was Hebrew, right? So what did she say? Abba? He's like, hey, that's it. That's what's happening in our lives. We've been given the spirit of adoption that cries, crying. You know, that's what children do. We cry. Of course, crying can mean shouting. But either way, uh, something's wrong. You're shouting or tears are coming. And, and this spirit who lives within you has you so connected to the father that he's like your daddy, which is so sweet. In verse 16, we continue. The Spirit itself bears witness, that is, reports to our spirit, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. I mean, so there's an inheritance here. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So isn't that just wonderful, uh, this idea of a spirit of adoption? Um, A cross-reference that's very important at the bottom of this slide. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And it sounds just like what we read a moment ago, doesn't it? It says, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. See, it's different. It's not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of adoption. Another wonderful cross-reference on this adoption at the bottom of this slide. See, Galatians 4 sounds just like what we read in Romans 8. God sent forth his son that we might receive the adoption of sons. We've been adopted uh, by no insignificant father. We've been adopted. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a servant, although we are servants, but we're a different kind of a servant. You're a son, a child server of God. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See, Galatians 4 sounds just like Romans 8. They're the same. Twin doctrines uh, in twin epistles. Um, What does it mean to be adopted as a son? Well, we only have glimpses of this in Scripture. And who can ever understand all the emotions of God, right? But notice this in Psalm 103, verse 13, as an example. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. We just do. I mean, and God is a good father. We have grandsons who have issues. I mean, everybody has issues, right? And we always try to downplay them. Oh, well, this grandson is small in stature. He's probably mortified by that. He's humiliated. Let's never mention that around him. Let's never bring it up. Uh, This grandson might be easily brought to tears. I'm sure he's humiliated by that. So let's let's cover for him, shall we? Uh, This grandson might feel a little left out. Let's cover for him. This granddaughter, let's cover for her. As a father pities his children, so our Lord pities. You have things that mortify you. The Lord is very sorry for all of those things. The Lord feels sorry for you. Doesn't that matter? I think it matters. 
Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? They may forget. I never will. The Lord loves his children. That's what he feels like. Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I will always love you. No need to wonder how faithful I will be. I will always love you. Therefore, with loving kindness. And it's so great, the old translations, a lot of times that would just be mercy or something like that now in the new versions. But you see what they've done there. We're trying to find a word for this supernatural love that God has for us. So we just cheated. We made up a word. There is no such word as loving kindness outside the Bible. We made it up. We're trying to say there's love and there's kindness and it's extraordinary. So let's just smash a few words together and get it done. The Lord's loving kindness. He says, so with my love and my kindness all smashed together, I'm trying to draw you to me. I love you and I always will. Jeremiah 31, 20. It's not Ephraim. That was a nickname for Israel, the whole nation. But there is similarity between the Lord felt, between how he felt for Ephraim, Israel, and how he feels for us. So capture the similarity. Isn't that Ephraim, my dear son? He didn't have to say dear son. He could have just said son. Isn't that Ephraim, my dear son? Is he not a pleasant child? I love that. Isn't he great? You know the Lord thinks that about you? Isn't she great? Uh, therefore, my heart yearns for him. That's emotion. I'm all bonded and attached emotionally to my children. We've been adopted. You know, that's extraordinary. My favorite adoption story. So, the year is 1930. The place is Poland. Anya comes from a pretty big family. She's the oldest of the children in that family. The family in Poland says, "Uh uh-oh, we see what's happening here. There is like a growing tide of anti-Semitism. We got to get out of Poland. Hitler is rising to power. We got to get out of here. The only thing is, we don't have enough money to all go. So we're going to send our kids one at a time. Anya, you're the oldest child. We're going to send you to your aunt in America. And then one by one, we're going to get all your brothers and sisters there. And last of all, mom and I are going to come. So you got to go. And on you goes. Well, Hitler came to power and nobody else ever made it to America. Word eventually got back to Anya that all of her family, they were all killed in the camps. So there she is in America by herself. She grows up. She becomes a young woman. She marries a nice young Jewish man. His name is Saul. And they imagine that they're going to have a big family. Their ideas, we're going to have children and we're going to name the children after all of your brothers and sisters who were killed in the camps. What about that? Oh, that would be just wonderful. And that way we'll honor my family after all. Then there's trouble because Anya and Saul are childless. They can't have children. They try and try and it looks like they just are never going to have children. So Anya says to Saul, what would you think of maybe adopting? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. So being Jewish, they go to a Jewish adoption agency and they say, we'd just like to adopt a baby. And they have one all figured out. Uh, There is an unwed mother who wants to give the baby up for adoption and they go to New York and it's all set up. And then, oh no, the grandmother has decided that she will raise the baby and the baby is not available for adoption anymore. And then the adoption agency says, but... 
Would you consider an older child? Because we have a beautiful little girl here named Miriam. I mean, you will like her. And they said, well, you know, we wanted to have a baby so that the baby would think of us as, you know, mom and dad. And they said, well, would you just like to meet her? Well, they meet Miriam and they do love Miriam, but they wanted to have a baby. So can we just wait? They wait a whole year more. No baby is available. They kind of get discouraged with that. But then Anya says to Saul, well, you know, Miriam was awfully cute. And we did feel attracted to her. Do you think we should try to get Miriam? She calls, Anya calls the adoption agency. Is Miriam still available? Well, yes, because Miriam is nine years old now. and Nobody adopts a nine-year-old child. And Anya says, well, I think we would like to explore that seriously. And the lady at the adoption agency says, well, I'm really glad to hear you say that. But since last time we talked, there's a new development. Uh, Miriam's six-year-old brother is also here now, and they're inseparable, and and we can't have anybody just adopt one. Would you consider having the nine-year-old and the six-year-old? Anya and Saul say, okay. So they bring Miriam and Moisha home for the very first time. Walk in the room. Moisha, six years old, kind of hangs back. Miriam begins to explore everything on the shelves, all all the curios, And she's just looking around, and she comes to the piano, and she freezes, and she points at a picture on the piano, and she gets all emotional. And here's how the conversation goes. Miriam, why do you have a picture of my grandmother on your piano? And Anya says, what? And Miriam says, my grandmother. Why is my grandmother's picture on your piano? And she runs to the suitcase and retrieves a faded photo. She says, see, I have the same picture too. My grandmother... And Anya's gasping. And she whispers, that's my mother. And Miriam says, you want to see a picture of my mommy? And she hands a picture of Anya's own sister, Sarah. And Anya drops to her knees in emotion. And she says, Sarah. And Miriam says, how do you know my mother's name? She accidentally adopted her own deceased sister's children. It's where they belonged. It was like, you know, Providence. It's where they belong. You are adopted by God. It is where you belong. It was meant to be. You see how beautiful that is. Romans 8 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirits that we are indeed the children of God. Well, that reassuring voice is just priceless. And sometimes it's kind of quiet. So in quiet times, don't be discouraged. Sometimes it's a little more noisy than at other times. I love this story of Dory Van Stone. Um, she was the girl nobody loved. Really, her parents were alive, but they put her in the orphanage because they just didn't like her. They didn't want to be around her. And nobody else liked her either. So she grew up in the orphanage, but she did indeed become a Christian. And then after that, she wanted to become a missionary because she wanted to follow her mentor, who is Darlene Rose, a, a, a beautiful, wonderful Um, missionary uh, from uh, the World War II era. And she barely knew her father. She'd only seen him on a couple of occasions. But for whatever reason, it was in her mind, I'm going to become a missionary and I want my dad to know. Maybe she thought somehow her dad would be pleased and think that she's somebody. So she took a long train ride 
to visit her dad because her dad doesn't really love her. Dad didn't pick her up at the train station, said, call a cab. So she called a cab. She uh, pulls up in the cab and jumps out, pays the guy. He leaves, and dad is sitting on the front porch, and she runs up to tell him, you know, I'm going to be a missionary. But he interrupts her and says, actually, I have something to tell you. I have a terminal illness. I'm going to die, and I really don't know what to do. And she wants to tell him the gospel witness to him, and she begins to, but he shuts her down and says he's not interested. Well, then she says, well, Dad, I have something to tell you. Dad is calling me. God is calling me. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be a missionary, and I might marry a preacher. And he said, she said, my father stood up. He said, well, you can go call a cab and tell him to come back and pick you up. And she said, but I just got here. Why? And he said, I'll tell you why. I think it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. If that's what you're going to be from this moment on, you're no longer my daughter. I never want to see you again. And she says, I never did see him again. She said she got on the train to go back home. And in the you know rhythm of the train rocking back and forth, she said, when that train pulled out rocking, it was like it was saying, you're all alone. You're all alone. You're all alone. I said, I'm not, I'm not. And every verse of scripture I'd ever memorized came over me like an ocean. Psalm 2710 says, when your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will pick you up. And she remembered the Lord said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. And I thought, that's it. The spirit itself bears witness, reports to our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. And that's really something. We are called joint heirs with Jesus. Isn't that something? Chapter 8, verse 16. We are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Joint heirs with Christ. We are adopted to become joint heirs with Jesus. That is crazy, right? You know what we are? We are like these orphans who have been adopted And we are the real Oliver Twist. I love that story. But it's not a story. You know, it's you. If you're a believer, it's you. You know what Oliver Twist did? He was the child, uh, he didn't know it, of a wealthy man. And he was eventually brought into the wealthy man's estate. And at the end of the story, it says they were happy, this family. And not only family that he had just gotten to know, but family that he had known and didn't realize they were his family. Happy in their love for one another. A thousand looks and smiles and fervent thanks to him who had protected and preserved them. I have said they were truly happy. That's how it ends. It's you. It's your story. We're the real Annies, you know, orphan Annies. We're children moving out of the hard knocks life the full of sorrow life, a no tomorrow life. That is, that is our situation until Jesus found us. We were going to be executed for our faults and sins. And the sun really has come out for us. The sun really has come out. And just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow. You say, I have a trash life. Well, you might be in the middle. We're talking about the future here. The contract is already signed. You've been adopted. You just have to cross the battlefield and then you go to the grand estate. No fair saying, well, my life is garbage. 
This is not the time to be evaluating the value of your life. We are real Cinderella's. I mean, it's just a story, but it's just real. I mean, it's real. Children who really learn that, no matter how your heart is grieving, if you keep on believing the dream, we say prayer, that you wish will come true. That's true. That's not a fairy tale. The thing that you're looking for, if you're a believer, is yours. When the queen of Sheba visited Solomon, she was overwhelmed. Solomon is the son of David, the wisest king ever. He's a picture of Jesus, right? So this Gentile uh, Arab queen visits Solomon. And you, most of you are Gentiles. And someday you're going to visit the greater Solomon's home for the very first time. Here's what it was like for her. She communed with Solomon of all that was in her heart. Someday tell the Lord all about it. And Solomon answered all her questions. That's what she wanted to know, right? It's the unknowing. It's the uncertainty that's the worst. And Solomon answered all her questions. And there was nothing hid. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of this, there was no more spirit in her. She fainted dead away, if not actually on the verge of. When you finally see where you're going to spend eternity, you're going to faint dead away. In verse 5, and she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in my own land, but I did not believe their words until I came, and my eyes saw it. And behold, the half was not told to me. This place is way better than anybody ever told me. And King Solomon, you notice this, King Solomon, the queen of Sheba, gave her all her desire, whatever she wanted. That's where you're going. You've been adopted. It's a, it's a wonderful story. Nothing is like this. We suffer with Christ in three ways. Um, We are crucified with him, and that's pretty much on paper. But also, there's this unavoidable suffering because we live in a broken world. Sicknesses come, cancer cells divide, the crazy COVID virus is always hanging around. We live in a broken world, and life is hard, and we're also around broken people, and we're around cruel, hostile, invisible enemies. So we can't avoid that suffering. But then there's another kind of suffering that we cause ourselves. I mean, we intend to sacrifice for the Lord. And so, you know, you put $500 in the offering plate every month. You know, that was your boat money. You know, why why didn't you get a yacht or something? Uh, Instead, you put it in the offering plate. Why did you do that? Well, you intentionally sacrificed for the Lord. If we suffer with him, we'll also be glorified together, right? Rosaria Butterfield, remember her story? Saved out of a lesbian background, university professor in women's studies. She said uh, she'd been reading the Bible, and she said, I had some really burning questions for people. Was I willing to be considered stupid by those who didn't know Jesus? I was thinking... Do I want to be changed? No. I like my life. I like my girlfriend. I like my house. Thank you very much. I even like my wonderful career. 
I'm standing in the rushing water of the world. I have my toe in another world because of all that Bible reading. What will happen if I put my foot in, if I put my whole body in? So I woke up one morning, emerged from a bed that I shared with a woman. I got in my truck with my immoral bumper stickers and my butch haircut, and I showed up at the church of my new friend. I would go to my Christian mom friends and say, look, if I become a Christian, I have to give up my girlfriend. What did you have to give up to be here? If we suffer with him, we'll also be glorified together. What have you given up for Jesus? Some of you have given up a lot. Helen Rosevere, after working in the Congo for more than 20 years, doing amazing things as a medical missionary, a guy needed a skin graft. Nobody was around to be a donor. So she took the blade and cut its skin off her own thigh and put it on the guy. She did that all of her life, all kinds of things like that. At the end, they basically fired her from the hospital that she founded because somebody was upset with her wrongfully. She said, I suddenly knew with every fiber of my being, fiber spelled wrong because she's British. I suddenly knew with every fiber of my being that these 20 years had been worthwhile, very, very worthwhile, utterly worthwhile, with no room left for regrets or recrimination. I've looked back and tried to count the cost, but I find it all swallowed up in privilege. The cost suddenly seems very small and transient in the greatness and permanence of the privilege. Heirs with God and join heirs with Christ if you suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. David Livingston was in Africa all those years, his arm hanging limp by his side because he was attacked by a lion. He said, people talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of the life. It may make us pause cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Oh, join heirs with Christ if we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Geraldine Taylor, this is Hudson Taylor's daughter-in-law for those of you who know about Hudson Taylor. She said, talk of sacrifice. This is no sacrifice. After a riot, when our lives had been saved by a miracle, when we were sitting bruised and bleeding amidst the ruins of our home, in that hour, believe me, heaven itself was open to us. And we tasted then and afterwards a joy so marvelous that I scarcely like to speak about it here as we realize that we've been permitted to suffer something for Christ's sake. No words can tell you the joy which filled our hearts. We have never known anything like it since. And we would not miss that experience out of our lives for all that you could give us. So here's where we've been. It is utterly important and comforting for you to realize that we are adopted. We are adored by God as God's own dear children. We're possessed by the spirit of adoption which teaches us to call God our Abba, Daddy, Father. We are sensing the reassuring voice of the Holy Spirit within us, telling us that we are indeed the children of God. We are living forever as joint heirs with Christ. And when it comes to suffering with Christ, 
Well, that's okay too. Because as joint heirs with Christ, we will be infinitely rewarded forever. And that's well worth it. And that's the beginning of Romans chapter 8. We have a closing song, I think, that Josiah is going to help us with. And since I'm only miraculously five minutes over time, maybe we can sing our closing song. And um, if y'all would stand while we do that. And as the musicians are getting ready, um, if there's anything that you have been reluctant to sacrifice for the Lord, maybe you could talk to the Lord about that right now and realize that there is no real sacrifice to make. It's all richly rewarded very soon.